Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. The current weather is 64 degrees here in Harrisburg, PA, and it's partly cloudy. We're recording this on a Wednesday evening in on April 29th, I think, right? Okay. So, um, I haven't done a show in a while. Uh, I do have the new roommate. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I wanted to give a couple updates on some things. I uh, did the, my vegan February for almost the entire month, but because the new two roommate, weeks, it was two weeks. It was it was probably um, seventeen days. Maybe it was fifteen days, but because the new roommate came and my wife's family was in town, it was just uh, I had the furnace broke, all that stuff. But I wanted to give a couple um, suggestions for people that are looking for vegan websites because I did. This is the third year that I've done this, and I always learn one new recipe, one thing that I kind of incorporate to my um, my general repertoire. And uh, two things that I, well, more than that. Uh, well, first off, the website I go to is Oshi Glows. Uh, this is a photographer, woman, uh, cook that I guess had an eating disorder. You can go to her website. Um, she has a nice fancy little website. She wrote a cookbook, but she's vegan. And I learned how to do um, uh, these kale balls. And I sound like such a trendy person because kale didn't even exist before 2002, I think. And somebody invented kale and now everybody eats kale. But it's mainly quinoa, sweet potatoes, kale. Uh, what else is in it? That's that's about most of it. Most of it. Um, there's a couple other th- things in it, but you, you know, I make these little kale balls and then I make a cucumber a kind of cashew sauce and you dip it in. It tastes good. And cashews like a, uh, very versatile thing for condiments. You, you know, you soak the cashews in water and you, um, uh, overnight and then you blend it and then you add some things to it. So the other thing that I came up with or that I got from this, um, website uh, was these like smashed potatoes with uh, cashew sour cream I use and it's a nice little condiment you um, mix apple cider vinegar lemon juice little salt with um, blended cashews and uh, it doesn't really taste like cashew it doesn't really taste like sour cream but it tastes pretty good it's like a creamy condiment like a tangy to offset the the warm starchy potato it's like a creamy to go with the starch it's a but it's a it's a tangy cream because of the vinegar and the lemon i think i think that's what makes it nice i mean it's definitely creamy but there's a little bit of a tang to it because of that vinegar it's good yeah um and then the other thing that i made which uh looked utterly disgusting and did look like feces was um this walnut lentil taco meat and um (laughs) never make that again you know what though? It tasted meaty and good, and and what you do is you just wrap it in like a lease. A, a, um, it had to be eaten in the dark or with your eyes closed. Well, you 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 just wrap it in a lettuce leaf with um some uh, salsa, and it's delicious. But it's pretty simple to make. Um, if looked I'm, very unappetizing though. Maybe so, but it's lentils, walnuts. You you, you know you healthy. You, you cook the lentils. Um, you toast the walnuts. I don't know what else is it. Maybe a couple like cumin and a couple other things. Um, you put it in a food processor and, 
it tastes good. It's it's thick and kind of protein-ish. I liked it. I haven't made it since because um, Frederica here thinks it uh, looks uh, revolting. I don't know. Is that the right word? It just, it was very unappetizing in its appearance. I know, but so is like hummus. No, no, there's no comparison. Well, those are the suggestions I have. Um, and I'm going to probably make that walnut lentil meat tomorrow because I haven't made it in a while. The other thing that's been going on is uh, I'm training for my fifth marathon, and this is happening in like four days. And I got to give my uh, wife some credit here because she's been dealing with a lot of these long runs that I'm doing. You know, what's going? She'll be, you know, what's going on tomorrow? Well, I got to go run for three hours, and there's an hour of prep because usually I have to go to the bathroom two or three times beforehand. I don't know why, but I get nervous just on my training run. So, and I mean like full bathroom experiences. And then when I come home, I it takes it's like an hour to just uh, my body needs to debrief. There's and wind down. Wind down, you know. It's just like what did you? Why did you do that? And um, you know, we had a harsh winter. The roommate came. Um, I wasn't feeling that good up until about four weeks ago. April was a pretty good month. I ran a twenty miler, a couple eighteens, a sixteen, a fifteen. I've done. Um, I, and I bike to work. The weather's been pretty good, so I feel decent. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what my time is. My previous times were in order. First time, 426. Second time, 422. Third time, 427. No, the first time was 427. Then the fourth time was my best, 413. I don't know how the hell I did that. But this year, I'm running with uh, my friend Eric, which I ran when I did my 426 time. And he's a pretty fast runner. He, uh, We ran a half marathon last year. He beat me by about 10 seconds or maybe 5 seconds. And he's even older than me, which is, uh, you know, usually you'd give the advantage to the younger guy. Um, I don't know. What is he, two years older? Yeah, he's. you're basically the same age. Well, he's older. He's older than me. And um, he hasn't run as many marathons. So, but... I don't know. He, I'd like to run with him. Um, he takes his training very seriously. But he is, and I have a whole strategy out in play. I don't know if he's going to, he's a little more nervous than me, I think. But we'll see how that goes. So wish me luck. I'll report back. And I wonder why I'm even doing these now, other than the fact of once I start something, I kind of like to finish it in the sense of till the rest of my life, I need to run one marathon a year. I don't know about the rest of your life but be- because I do feel like this might not be good for my body running all doing all this training I did convert to four f- foot running and that's important if you're going to do long distance running because you're if you run on your heels if you're a heel striker you're going to do a lot of damage to your knees and your lower back so I now am going to be I'm doing- kind of hoping maybe I'll just switch to doing halves I'm now probably doing damage to my um the, the top uh, muscles and bones in my foot and uh, the rest of my legs, because I'm landing on my forefoot. But, uh, you know, I'm not having any knee problems. Um, Things are feeling pretty good. So, uh, you know, wish me luck.
I got Frederica here, and um, I know she's not the most dynamic uh, guest or personality, but I wanted to talk to her about a couple things. Um, no, I'm sorry about that. You're a lovely woman. Um, I know. <laughs> um, but I had a re. No, I work in the emergency department. I've worked as a union organizer and seen some pretty um, people dealing with v- in very stressful situations, uh, losing their jobs, being fired from their jobs, or people very sick, gravely ill. And I recently had an experience where I saw a person with such fear and true terror that I've never... It, it'll it'll be with me till the end of my days. It really just... Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your life where you lock eyes with someone and they are in true terror. They are so frightened and afraid and uh, and they look right at you, like right into your eyes. They are losing control. They don't know not they don't know what to do. Um it's almost like an out of body experience in some ways. Have you ever had this experience? No. Um, so I recently, for whatever reason, was given my room, well, I was given my roommate a bath, you know, it's an infant, so it's, uh, can't bathe himself. And the water was warm enough, I thought, but, you know, he's a pretty chill person. He doesn't, he cries when he's hungry, that type of thing, but he got into that tub and was just lost all control, was in such fear. And I usually think, I'm, you know, maybe this is poor of uh, fatherhood or whatever you want to call it, but when he cries, sometimes I think it's cute and it doesn't really bother me. But he was freaking out, screaming, terrified to such a degree. He, we locked eyes and he was conveying to me a message of, I think the end is near. I think I'm gonna what die here. What the hell here. kind of bath was this? I, you know what? It was. Was it uh, too hot? Too cold? No, the water was uh, quite warm. I thought it was a little. It should have been a little warmer, but I think it was the sound of the shower, and I did a different type of situation. That we wait won't... a second. Stop recording. No. Anyways, <laughs> um, here's what's interesting about this situation. So he. He locked eyes with me. He is screaming like I have never seen him scream before. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible for this guy. But within about 30 seconds, he calmed down and everything was fine. What did you do? No, stop. I don't want to record this. Have you ever had a... uh, Have you ever locked eyes with somebody when they're in true fear or terror? No. No. I mean, come on. I'm sure you have. Uh, no, not that I can think of. Now, the person's are an infant, so, you know, you just use some uh, regular infant techniques of calming them down, and it worked. It did work. You know, you do the shh, shh, which, you know, the water was doing that too, but, you know, you just tell the person everything's okay, and that pretty much worked. But there was a good four to five seconds maybe longer where, you know, he was not having a good time. 
But I really do gotta uh, thank my wife for uh, my marathon training, um, because without her, I would not have been able to do all these long runs, and even I've done some bike rides. With uh, the newborn at home, it does take a lot of work. Um, so, I do have a wonderful, beautiful... She's uh, in contention for Wife of the Year for 2015. She's a great woman. Don't you think so, Frederica? I think she's a wonderful woman. She is wonderful She'll be woman. happy to hear you say all those nice yes. things. And um, she let me go for this bike ride the other day, uh, and I went on a 13-mile bike ride. And I was... Uh, I really like riding bikes. People should ride bikes more often. I used to hate bikers. I'd see them on the road. I they, I felt like uh, they were a danger to causing accidents. And now maybe uh, maybe we are. I don't know. And now I'm one of those people. Anyways, I pedaled up this super steep hill that was um, my phone. I, I calculate the distance. It was like a thousand, a thousand feet, or a thousand. Yeah, it wasn't a thousand miles. <laughs> it said something like a thousand it was very very steep within like a ten, within a half a mile and so here in Harrisburg I'm right in the city I'm like right in the middle of the city I, I bike like ten miles away no six miles I'm sorry it was six miles and all of a sudden I'm in like a rural sort of woodsy area and I pedal up this hill and it's a road to nowhere and I go up and then there's this, you know, there's a couple houses on the sides and then there's this field and uh, I was just exhausted. So I pull over, I brought my water bottle, you know, this very steep hill and there's this big field and there's two dudes in this field. There's two pickup trucks, two dudes and a, um, and a dog and two dogs running around. And it was a little strange because I was like, you know, I'm sitting sort of at the edge and they were doing some sort of project. I don't know if it was their personal field. It, there wasn't any sign. It, it was a kind of a strange situation, but it was such a beautiful uh, April day. It was very, it was kind of windy, but like the weather was warm and then the wind just made it like nice and refreshing. And it just made you think like, thank God this winter is over. I mean, this might have been one of the worst winters ever. I don't know about that, but I mean, it, it, was, cold, it was cold. Well, when your furnace breaks multiple times, yeah, you know, it really contributes to you hating the winter and maybe thinking of moving south or whatever. But um, I was up there, and I uh, I want to just give a little plug here, as we call buzz marketing, for um, I sat down, you know, on the bench there with my uh, water bottle, and there's an app. Uh, Poetry Foundation has this app, and it was nice and windy, and I'm sitting there, and I think, I'm going to look for a... You can just search the... Uh, they have a search for, like, topics. So I typed in wind, and this poem uh, came up. And I just, you know, I'm going to read some poetry after I... I'm an enlightened guy. I see two dudes in their pickup trucks with dogs, and uh, now I'm going to read a poem. So I found this poem, and I thought it was kind of cute, so I'm going to read it. Is that okay, Frederica? You're a true renaissance man. Yeah, I'm trying to read more poetry because I think everybody needs to... I think Josh would approve of the poetry reading. Yeah, I don't know. I think we all need to have a better command of the English language. And I think the more words and the more... Um, the more versed you are in sayings and phrases and words the better you are at uh, being in touch with your own self and being able to communicate and, and have a more enriched life. 
Okay. I'm nodding. Okay. You're nodding off, it seems. So um, here's the poem. It's by Christina Rossetti. It's a very short one. It's called, uh, Who Has Seen the Wind? Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing through. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing by. It's very true. I don't know, I just thought that was a cute poem. Okay. I'm going to give another little plug here. Uh, Maybe this is a show of plugs I haven't been on in a while, but uh, I subscribe on and off for the last 10 years to The Nation magazine. And they have a fabulous April issue. It's their 150th uh, anniversary. And it's a really big issue of like, they they kind of, what do you call the word? Uh, Curated? That's like a buzzword today, right? Or They selected a lot of articles over the last 150 years and put it in there. And then there's some new articles and there's uh, some modern stuff. But I'm going to read this. And you try to spot what time this, this poem, this, not poem, this article is written. I'm just going to read a little piece of it here. Um, well, the, the editor, this is an editorial. And it says, The growth of corporate and the decline of governmental power. And here's uh, in the middle of it, it says, uh, Such sayings as, The world is governed too much. The less government you have, the better. Individual enterprise will accomplish everything if you will only give it a chance, were adopted as incontrovertible maxims, and society set itself to to giving individual enterprise all the chance it asks. At the same time, the science of government, which has received so much attention from the earliest statesmen, was allowed to die out in this country, and the business of governing was gradually abandoned to a class of professional politicians contemptuously called office holders and office seekers, and the task of serving one's country fell into general disrepute. Okay, now there's some the bigger words there, so I think you definitely know this wasn't written today, because people were smarter back then. Well, there's the old-timey language. A little bit old-timey. Disrepute is... Yeah, you would never see that today. But clearly this sentiment yeah. is timeless. Um, okay. Um, then the then this little thing talks about, uh, you know, corporations, uh, to a certain extent, take the place in American society of the privileged clashes in aristocratic Europe. For they constitute a feudal system which exacts service, if not homage, from an influential portion of every community, and which carries on a distinguished... No. (laughs) Which carries on a disguised welfare with the government, sometimes in Congress, sometimes in state legislators, in which warfare, concentrated wealth, and power are arrayed against the wishes, and in some cases, the interest of society at large. Um... This, I mean, what? when would you guess this was written? You probably know the answer, so. I mean, I think this could be written today in some in some cases. I mean, we know because of the old-timey language that it's old, but, but it certainly sounds like it could be written today. Yeah. 
This was written in 1873, and when the first time I read it, I just was like, oh, this is like the same crap's going on today. Um, and there's definitely some other, uh, oh, there was another. There's some, some real gems in there. Okay, so this is November 15th, 1999, and part of this Breaking Glass Steagle. It's an editorial by The Nation, and it's talking about the misnamed Financial Services Modernization Act. And it says, this will usher in another round of record-breaking mergers as companies rush to combine into one-stop shopping, operations concentrating financial power in trillion-dollar global giants, and paving the way for future taxpayer bailouts of too-big-to-fail financial corporations regulation called that one yeah regulation of this new universe will be minimal with powers scattered among a half dozen federal agencies and 50 state insurance departments none with sufficient clout to do the job the glass-steagall act was something that did away with laws separating banking and insurance companies and that's um one of the problems how we got into the whole uh the collateralized debt and the um, creating insurances off of all those mortgage-backed securities and then having to pay out all these uh, insurances on these uh, whatever. Uh, what do you call it? I mean, they just foresaw that it would Stocks, be a really it, bad it, thing, you know, There's too much payout, so it, it broke these banks. Um, so anyways, pick up the... If you see the nation... I don't know how much it is. I subscribed to it. I thought it was nice. The Nation uh, April 2015 uh, 150th anniversary edition. I want to talk now about Kurt Vonnegut. Is that how you say his name? Vonnegut. 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 Um, I recently read Slaughterhouse-Five, and I'm not in college and I'm not 19, but when I was reading this book, I really, really enjoyed it and I highly recommend it. But when I tell, when I tell people that I've read this book, uh, this is a common thing I get. Oh, yeah, I read that. I read that in high school. I read that in college. It is like a required required reading. I've, I think. was never required for me. But um, I find that response very annoying and uh, snobby. Well, they just want to say that they read it. Too. Maybe they want to discuss it. Th- well, there was no discussion afterwards. It was almost like, yeah, I went through that phase type of thing. No, I did. <laughs> well, I, I did talk to your uh, Frederica's father about this. And um, he was actually a little bit more into discussing Vonnegut. Well, he likes Vonnegut, yeah. But again, it was like he went through his Vonnegut phase. He wasn't snooty about it. But other people have been like. Vonnegut was a GE man, though, right? 
something like that. Yeah, he. I, there was some connection, I think. So the thing about him that you know, we all heard his name. We all know this book, Slaughterhouse Five, is one of the best books ever. You know, you, you've probably, if you haven't read it, you're probably aware of it to some degree. And um, it's nothing like I thought it was going to be. It's a uh, kind of a surrealist book. And I'm about to finish one of his other books, Sirens of Titan, which is very similar. And his writing style is minimalist. I want to say. Um, He's not very flowery with his language, but yet at the same time, he's very clever with his language, very to the point. And um, Slaughterhouse-Five is, uh, if you haven't read it, the basic premise is um, it's kind of a, um, have you read it? I actually haven't. How can I sum this up? It's about the bombing of Dresden but not really. So the first chapter is almost nonfiction where he's like, I want to write a story about Dresden. So he visits his old war buddy and he's talking to his, his old uh, friend. Um, you know, Dresden was the place in Germany where the U S like bombed the hell out of and killed um, hundreds of uh, not, uh, tens of thousands of people, innocent people. Um, and Kurt Vonnegut was actually a prisoner of war and happened to be in Dresden during that time, but was in a prison in a slaughterhouse that was, like, named Five. So he, like, survived. One of the few people survived. And then after the bombing, he's, like, walking around and sees all the horror. Now, it sounds like this book is going to be a horror show, but it's not. He almost writes about the war stuff in a kind of clinical way that's... It is horrible, but it's... You're not, like, weeping through it. Um, But so... The book is this character, after the first chapter, he starts the story, this character is like slipping in and out of time. So he gets lost in time. So he'll be in the 50s, then he'll be back in the war, then he'll be in the 70s, then he'll be in the 60s. And um, there's like this sci-fi element to it. Then he gets abducted by aliens, but that's kind of debatable. Does he get abducted by aliens? Or is that due to some other thing? And he's... um, kind of having like a PTSD type thing and he's like um, you know you just got to read the book but anyways for this passage alone which I'm going to read which I think is one of the best passages I've ever read in a book as a pacifist I mean am I a pacifist I, I don't know are you um I really want to be I think I am for the most part I uh I'm almost a pacifist that's what my I'm officially saying that um, so this guy, Billy Pilgrim is, uh, he's the main character and he sits down to, uh, what, have a drink or whatever at his house. And because he is kind of slipping in and out of time, sometimes he goes backwards in time. So he watches this documentary on World War II backwards. And so I'm just going to read this passage because I think it's pretty cool. Okay. Okay, so he says, He saw a late movie backwards, then forwards again. It was a movie about American bombers in the Second World War. And the gallant... Is that the right word? Gallant? Is that how you say it? Gallant men who flew them. Seen backwards by Billy, the story went like this. American planes, full of holes and wounded men and corpses, took off backwards from an airfield in England. 
Over France, a few German fighter planes flew at them backwards, sucked bullets and shell fragments from some of the planes and crewmen. They did the same for wrecked American bombers on the ground, and those planes flew backwards to join the formation. The formation flew backwards over a German city that was in flames. The bombers opened their bomb bay doors, exerted a miraculous magnetism which shrunk the fires, gathered them into cylindrical steel containers, and lifted the containers into the bellies of the planes. The containers were stored neatly in racks. The Germans below had miraculously devices of their own, which were long steel tubes. They used them to suck more fragments from the crewmen and, air, crewmen and planes. But there were, there were still a few wounded Americans, though, and some of the bombers were in bad repair. Over France, though, German fighters came up again, made everything and everybody as good as new. When the bombers got back to the base, the steel cylinders were taken from the racks and shipped back to the United States of America, where factories were operating night and day, dismantling the cylinders, separating the dangerous contents into minerals. Touchingly, it was mainly women who did this work. The minerals were then shipped to specialists in remote areas. It was their business to put them into the ground and hide them cleverly so they would never hurt anybody ever again. That's interesting. I just, that almost makes me weep, I think. I just love that part when when he uh, says the minerals were shipped. If you think about how this would actually be right, you know, visualized, right. you know, uh, women dismantling bombs and then like, okay, we got to put these things that are going to kill people into the earth. Like, if only we lived in a world like that. Anyways, that moved me. And I hope it moved you, and I hope it makes you want to read Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, all right, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to try to do more of these. And as always, uh, what do I say as always? I don't say anything as always. Stay classy. <laughs> I don't say that. So um, Live long and prosper. Um, I hope you like the music behind this, and uh, see you soon. Thanks. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the PRC Show. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC Show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC Show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris, all labors donated. Thanks for listening. Thank you.